All right, good morning, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Esther chapters 9 and 10, we'll finish the book up today. Lord, we thank you for this morning and the, and the time we've had together in song and in fellowship and now into your word, and we pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to receive everything you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good that we're here together. I know that uh, that used to be something that we would say at our church, my old church, when I grew up, all the time, and there was some kind of doxology or some sort of you know, responsiveness that we would do, and, you know, it, it, and it got to be, you know... Of course, as a kid, I didn't know what it meant, but this morning as I'm sitting here singing with you, and I, um, the worship's a, a little different because some of the equipment's a little bit different, and things are a little bit different around here, and, and uh, you could feel it, you could sense it, and in a good way, though, in a good way, cleaner, clearer, um, and then your voices, hearing your voices and all, and um, um, that's just what this is about. The, actually, the first two verses, that's where we're going to pause after the first or the second verse here in chapter 9 and talk about that being together. And so that's why I wanted to start out. It's good that we're here together. Um, the Bible warns us about don't forsake the assembling together, the brethren, and, and it's very great scripture, very true, wonderful. Obviously, they all are. Um, but sometimes just, just the threat of not showing up <laughs> You know, it's good to dwell, you know, it's, it's you know, you better not forsake the assembling. Well, you show up and you're kind of like, okay, I'm here, all right. Do I get my check mark and my little pin or, or what? You know, it's actually, it's really good for us to be together is the idea. And to forsake the assembling together is something our flesh wants to do. It's something that draws us away. The spirit yearns to be with other brothers and sisters. The flesh doesn't want to be around other people for the most part. Um, likes to isolate and things. I think about the prophet who, you know, hid in the cave and said, and said, you know, I alone am left. Well, God pulled him outside. He says, you're not the only, no, no. There's thousands that have not bowed the knee to Baal. But in his depression, in his fleeing and running from, um, you know, crazy lady that wanted to kill him, um, he found himself in a place of the flesh and, and of all people, you know, the prophet of Israel hiding in a cave and saying that we can just, we're people of like passions. We have, that, we have that ability to do that to ourselves. And so it's good that we're here together. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're here together. Esther's had a, a wonderful run of it so far, and it's going to end up really well today, which is nice to finish a book in the Bible that ends well, you know? <laughs> Sometimes judges, <laughs> not so much, you know? Um, any of them. A lot of them just don't end exciting. This one does. And it's because God has intervened into their lives and he has, he has stepped in and been a blessing to them and they've received it and understood it and they were obedient. Certain people were super obedient to God's call in their life when it was scary, uh, when it was threatening, when they didn't know the outcome and they didn't know what was going to happen, they didn't know all the steps, but they stepped in and they did what God asked them to do. And it turns out really well, and that hopefully will translate into your lives too. Because that is when God moves the most, is when we don't know, but we know he knows, and we trust him enough to do it anyway. In verse 1, now in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, in the 13th day, the time came for the king's command 
and his decree to be executed. Now, that decree remembers the annihilation of all the Jews. The second decree was, uh, Jews, you may defend yourselves, basically. So that's where we are in the story. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred in, the, uh, in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could withstand them, because fear of them fell upon all the people. Now, that's something I underlined in my Bible for my own personal thing, for my own personal study time. And so that's what you're going to get this morning, gathered together. They gathered together. Now, before this, they were all terrified. Remember when the first decree went out and they were scared to death of what was going to happen to them. And everybody was walking around with sackcloth and ashes, with ripped clothes. They were as good as dead as far as they were concerned. How do you do this? They were desperate. Desperate and hopeless is where they were. Now they're not. The second one came out because a couple people obeyed the Lord. Mordecai just did what God called him to do. And he actually kind of pressured Esther Esther, into doing what she needs to do. And she does what she needs to do. I mean, there is, it is a shove from God the whole time. None of it was just skipping in, you know, through the daisies. It was always God saying, come on, everybody. Come on, just a constant push. You can walk into that room. You can trust me to have him hold out the golden scepter to you. You can believe that I'm going to take care of this. There's a constant shove, but they went, and they did it. The Jews gathered together because they were unified in what those two people did. Those two people got together, Mordecai and Esther, and talked to the king about it. And the king says, you write a decree however you want to. And because they did what they were supposed to do, the good news was spread to the entire countryside, all the small towns and in the Shushan, the citadel, which is where they're located, big city. And all the Jews were united by that one moment or one piece of good news. And because they all came together, they defeated their enemies. Scripture is very clear on this. It's, it's ridiculous how many times. If you look up the word, um, my word search uh, for some of these cross-references was, let me see if I can remember it exactly. I guess it doesn't matter. Um, 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 gave to some and together, I think was the words search that I used for these cross-references. It's ridiculous how many times God writes in this passage about being together as, as believers. Never saw it before. Never. I understand that we're a body. I understand that we're a building. You know, I know all of the uh, metaphors that God used to describe what he wants us to understand about our walk with him. I, I, I get that. I teach that 20 plus years now I've been teaching that. But as I look through all these things, it's amazing how many times and how many different mouths God uses throughout Scripture to say, and by the way, and you need to do this for everybody, and you need to think this way about everybody. It's everybody, 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 everybody. All the people, all your friends, all your coworkers, all your everybody. Are you thinking this way about them? There's some Scriptures I, I got. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 through 19. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
doesn't say it won't prevail against Peter, because it does once in a while. Remember how he played the hypocrite, got caught up in the flesh and decided to separate himself from the Gentiles when the Jewish boys came around? But when it comes to the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I know there's a hornet. Please, it's going to be okay. He's just trying to find a way out. He won't attack you, okay? Now you're, okay. And I will kill him if I get, he gets within arm's reach, he will be dead, okay? So now you're waiting for that too. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus promises Peter and us. The church is us. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is trying to magnify the point. You don't understand how much power I'm giving you as the church. Some serious firepower, spiritually speaking. In Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another. According to Christ Jesus, he's not talking about self. He's not talking about don't let anybody bring you down. We get it all backwards, and the world loves to just twist it just enough to make it tantalizing for you, you know, or to maybe steal or or, or try to co-opt a truth that God has in his word and worldly, I'm going to make up a word now, worldlyfy it, you know. And take away the spiritual out of it. Harvard. What a ridiculous story that was. I just look at the world and I say, you've got to be kidding me. Harvard, founded as a theological school, has now, they have lots of chaplains. And what they mean by that is, Christian chaplains, Hindu chaplains, Muslim chaplains, all sorts of chaplains. So they're already way off base there. But they've now hired and encouraged and ordained, I don't don't know how you do that, an atheist chaplain. Now, we associate the word chaplain with Christianity, or I do anyway. I just always think church, God, something or other, but no, he's an atheist. And so what they basically have is a personal counselor, that's all he can do is offer personal counsel. He has no one to take them to. He can't take them to a god, a deity of any kind, no matter what the flavor. He can't do that. He just has to tell them his advice, basically. Fine. They're a crazy school anyway, going downhill faster and faster. I think someone put it best. They say it's a, it's a hedge fund with a school attached is what it is now, which is true. They're, they love their money. What was the most interesting about it was that all the other chaplains voted unanimously to make him the president of the chaplains. <laughs> so there ain't a Christian one in the bunch. There ain't a Christian chaplain on Harvard campus now. They would have to go off campus to get any kind of true Christian counseling, advice, encouragement, because any Christian that would vote for an atheist Chaplain to be the president of the chaplains of the university is nothing but a woke waste of space, is what they are. We need to be like-minded towards one another in Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind, with one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us, 
of the glory of God. He wants us to be like-minded. He wants us to be together, to think about each other, not about self, not about self, which is all an atheist has to offer, self. It's not even agnostic, which means I don't know if there's a God. It's atheist. I know there's not a God. Really, love to see that evidence. We are supposed to be like-minded towards one another. We're, we divide for a lot of different reasons in the church, even in our groups um, within a fellowship. Um, there are some people we exclude and some people we include um, for dumb reasons or maybe for a good reason once in a while, but for the most part, for dumb reasons. We don't like the tone of voice. We don't like their attitude. We don't match up personality-wise. They're not the same height. I don't know. Dumb things, we put people out of our circle for different reasons. And God says, no, that's not how it works. The gates of hell don't prevail against that group or whatever. It's the church. And he made sure that no matter what our little idiosyncrasies are, our little pet peeves are about each other that we don't like, you know, that they're to be ignored or they're to be looked over. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, about spiritual gifts given to the church by Jesus Christ. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant, which ironically is one of the things the church is most ignorant about is spiritual gifts. But Paul says, whatever you're ignorant about, I don't care what, just don't be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Okay? You know um, that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. When I exclude and remove short people from my life, I'm short, that's why I pick short. I don't want to offend anybody. I hurt myself first. Then I exclude these gifts in my fire team, in my platoon, in my patrol. It's like going on a patrol and saying, I do not want the M60. It shoots way too loud and way too fast and does too much damage. What a ridiculous thought, right? Well, I want it all. No, to keep your grenade guy. I don't want the grenade guy, you know. The church is an effective team. It's an effective force of God because the Holy Spirit has made sure that everyone's needed. And when you begin to exclude and push away those people in our lives, the people that 
don't like them personality-wise, you've harmed yourself by not allowing that gift of, that Holy, of the Holy Spirit in that person to be in your life. You can't do it all. A lot of people try to be the Lone Ranger, to be the one with all the gifts, but God makes sure that, no, I'm not giving you all the gifts because then it'd be just a bunch of yous out there and not a bunch of we's. We need one body. My toe doesn't have a mouth. My big toe, it's my stabilizer. Keeps me from falling over right there, right there. If I lean forward, if I didn't have my big toe, I'd be in your lap right now. It does its job. It does what it's supposed to do. And I can do that pretty good, even though I'm older now. You know? My mouth does its job, and boy it, boy, it does its job, doesn't it? My eyes are somewhat functioning. I've got some corrective lenses here. Everything's a little blurry without them. But for the most part, every part of my body, and I'm thankful for it for now, that everything works like it's supposed to and does what it's supposed to do. I don't starve to death. My right hand knows exactly what to do when I'm hungry. And that's how the body functions, and that's how I'm coordinated, and that's how I can move from here to there, speak, see, analyze, absorb, all the things. Have you ever watched, I don't know if you've seen this or not, some of you probably don't care, but some of you do, the computer program, they let you see what a car's doing when it's driving autonomously now. Unbelievable. We have self-driving cars. For the most part, they're doing okay. They just don't want to step in front of one too quickly, you know, kind of thing right now. Or you might not get across, but that's okay. Watch one of those videos where it shows you what the computer's doing all the time. The chip, the power, the processing ability is so huge, so difficult, so challenging. NVIDIA is the only chip that can make them right now that's actually doing it. And it's just, it's just constant <laughs> circles, red squares, lines, things, tracking, following things all the time. It's just this blur. You know, we do that all the time. The bodies that God designed us with the amazing processing power that we have in our eyes and our ears, we are constantly analyzing and thinking. And I'm going to take a step here, and I don't even have to look down. My body can sense it. It's about six inches. Has anybody ever missed a step? By Ever miss a step? You're only falling this far, but you think you'd fallen off a cliff. Because your body says six inches, no eight. Oh, and you just go down because of well, your processing wasn't working right. Or it was dark. It's amazing how God has designed us. And if he's done that with our bodies, and he uses our bodies as a metaphor for what the church is, we need each other to function spiritually in this world. Maybe not physically. Maybe you can do it on your own. Maybe you can rough it. Go find a log cabin and shoot your bear and wear it and eat it and do whatever you're going to do. That's fine. Great. Good for you. But you fall in a hole by mistake or your tracking wasn't right on that cliff, you're going to wish you had a partner. But spiritually speaking, I don't think we can function. Not without each other. And so that's why God wants us to have spiritual eyes and to see each other spiritually. To pay attention to that part of the person. Not their loud mouth, not their funny appearance, not their mannerisms, but what is their, what spiritually do they have? And bring them in and let them do what they do because they do it very well. Chapter 9, verse 3. We'll go faster, I promise. <laughs> and all the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and all those 
doing the king's work, helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces for this man. Mordecai became increasingly prominent, and that's kind of how it works. Thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. Mordecai becomes more influential in the kingdom, all because he did one thing for somebody else. That's really how it started. Nobody knew who Mordecai was. Haman knew who Mordecai was. Remember Haman, the guy who's hanging behind us in the scene here? He knew who Mordecai was because Mordecai wouldn't do what he wanted to do, and, Mordecai, and Haman hated Mordecai. But for the most part, most of the kingdom didn't know who he was. They didn't really know who he was until he had mentioned to somebody that the two eunuchs were going to kill the king. Didn't affect Mordecai. Mordecai had no, um, nothing to gain from that, you know. Um, but he did it because I don't know how that would turn out for the rest of us. I just know it's the right thing to do. Someone's going to try to kill the king. Now that came around until finally he got honored and now, at this point, has the king's signet ring on. And he's becoming more and more influential because he was looking out for other people. And he's still looking out for other people. One of his first acts is, I'm going to write a decree to save all my people. It's not about, well, the first thing I'm going to do is pick a house. Or the second thing I'm going to do is find out what kind of robes I'm going to wear and jewelry and, you know, what kind of horse am I going to ride. Like, no, the first thing we got to do I understand what this signet ring means. It means I can save my people right now. And Esther, we're going to write something up here, and we're going to make sure that that decree is trumped by our decree. And it was. It's very important if you're going to be in leadership or if you're going to be governing, if you're going to be a politician, you understand that you are there for other people, you're not there for yourselves. And that is where we run into all of our problems. And there isn't a secular, humanist politician that can do it. The only people in this world that understand they're accountable to someone other than themselves or even their goals are the Christians. Vote for Christians. That seems pretty narrow. They cannot govern unless they're Christians. They cannot understand the humility, the servant position that they have unless they're Christians. They do not have a proper view. They don't have a proper worldview, universe view, view, whatever. They don't have a proper view. I don't care how much you like them or how charismatic they are or how many good ideas they have. If they do not have Jesus Christ in their heart and they're born-again believers, they cannot govern properly. No man can. And even they need tons of prayer because they carry around with them a flesh just like you do. And on some days they look out for everybody else and on some days they look out for themselves just like we all do and they need a massive amount of prayer cover and encouragement and support and forgiveness and grace, you know, so they know that the Christians that they came to serve and they forgot to serve one day aren't going to throw them out, baby with the bathwater, just because they blew it one day. We understand that. Thank you for apologizing. Thank you for the accountability. I appreciate that about you. It's nice to know that you owned your mistake. 
We're forgiving people. Now go, go in there and get them, tiger. Go get them. And knowing that all those Christians have your back, very important. Joseph is very similar to Mordecai. Joseph was just a, a believer. Old Testament, but he's still a believer in God. And all throughout his steps was always looking out for either his dad, which is what got him thrown in the pit, or he's looking out for the people in the Potiphar's house, protecting Potiphar from his crazy wife, you know, and that got him thrown in jail. And then he got jail. He took care of all the prisoners, and that went really well. Interpreted some dreams and helped some guys out of some tough situations and thoughts. I mean, one guy, one guy lost his head. The other guy did okay. And then he finds himself to be the number two guy, and he can govern properly because he's looking out for the well-being of not only the Pharaoh, but everybody else, and make sure the whole country is taken care of. That's the key. The church is better when we're taking care of everybody else but ourselves, for the most part. The world would teach us the exact opposite. You can't care for others until you can care for yourself. I'm telling you, you don't know how to care for yourself until you can care for others. It's the opposite. The world loves to twist it gets us so focused on ourselves that I'm going to serve others, I'm going to do this one thing, but once, I just got to get this straightened out in my life. And you spend your entire life trying to straighten yourself out, and you never get to that second phase where you're helping other people. Whereas if you would just help other people and focus on them and let God worry about your problems, let them fall, let them come crashing down on your shoulders, whatever it may be, but I'm going to serve and I'm going to do what God wants me to do, you'd be surprised what happens, how God just works it out changes things, let some things crash because they needed to crash in your life. But out of that rubble, bring something else up, something beautiful, something that needed to be there. That seed's got to die before it can grow up. So important. Verse 6, and in Shushan, the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Not the, quite the slaughter I expected them to say. It's a big city. And they killed 500? They're going to get around 800 by the time this is done, but 500. Now, over the whole land, which is huge. I mean, the, the kingdom of this is not just Israel. It's, eh, I mean, it's huge. It's this Persian empire. I think it's like 27,000, I think, die, enemies of the Jews. But in this one city, 500, which means they're discerning. They didn't just go wipe out everybody, which is kind of what Haman had told the king was going to happen. These guys hate us. They hate all of us. They're going to rise up. They're going to rebel against us. They're going to do all, and he said, well, I don't want that to happen. Well, when given the opportunity to absolutely slaughter anybody they choose, just need to kill 500. They were our enemies. Actually, it's going to be 800, but you know, you get it. You get it. Not thousands. Not everybody. And so they destroyed the 5,000, including the 10 named here that are Haman's sons. Parshandatha, Dalphon, Asatha, Poratha, Poratha, yeah, Adaliah, Eridath, Permishta, Risa, Aridia, and Bajazatha, Bajazatha. I don't know. Cool names, kind of, but hard to pronounce. That's right, they're dead. The ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadetha, the enemy of the Jews, they killed. They did not lay hand on the plunder, which is very important. 
because it wasn't about gaining. You remember that's what the first decree was? Wipe out the Jews and you can take their stuff, which was a motivator, which was how the world thinks, Haman. Knock them out, take their position, take their stuff. God, on the other hand, says, no, you can just take out your enemies. I've given you all the stuff you need. You don't need to take their stuff. Besides, it's polluted and weird. You don't want it. On that day, the number of those who were killed in Shushan the citadel was brought to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan the citadel and the 10 sons of Haman. We have uh, what they have done in the rest of the king's provinces, or how many have they killed in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. Or what is your further request? It shall be done. Are you done, is what he's saying, or is there more that you guys need to do? Is it complete? It's not complete. Esther said, if it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do again tomorrow according to today's decree. Let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. And the Jews who were in Shushan together gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men at Shushan, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. They still left that stuff alone. So eight, uh, about 800 here. The remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives, had rest from their enemies, and killed 75,000. Well, I was a little higher than I thought. 75,000. I don't know why I read 27,000, but 75,000 of their enemies. But they did not lay a hand on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day of the month, they rested and made a day of feasting and gladness. They celebrated it. Nothing wrong with celebrating that kind of victory. I think it's important that we celebrate the victories that God gives us, to go over those victories in our lives. I'm not embarrassed about the things God's done for me. I'm more than happy to share with anybody the things that God's done for me, my family, and our lives, what he's stepped in and done, enemies he's taken out. Oh, that's so uncouth, you know. Don't speak of the dead. No, I'm going to talk about the dead, you know. Because they were a threat. They were a danger. We were worried. And, you know, I'm not saying actually, nobody actually died, but they were removed and defeated and taken out of our lives. And what a, what a blessing to know that our God is that concerned and worried and, and not worried, uh, involved in our lives. Celebrate those things. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's a pagan holiday. No, it's not. It's we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, whether it happened that day or not. We celebrate the birth. Of, I'm so glad that Jesus came. I'm so glad. It's a tradition. All right. We're going to have a tradition then. They're going to have a tradition right now. It's a good tradition. Traditions are important. They never trump God's word, ever. They never should. Anyway, if they come in conflict with God's word, the tradition goes. But traditions keep us from forgetting. Because we forget. If it hasn't happened to us lately, we kind of forget. Got stung yesterday. Not by a bee, though. Stupid hornets this time, you know. Oh, I forget how bad they hurt. Bees, I'll just, I'm, I'm going to stop myself right there. But I will go near a beehive without very many clothes on, and it would be fine. But, man, you go near a hornet's nest. They hurt like 10 times. Just pounded in a T-post. Got bit on the back of the leg. What was that? Looking around, couldn't find it. 
started going at the T-post again, and I look over here, and there's this thing. I mean, he's just perfectly still, just staring at me like this, hovering. I've never seen that before. By the time you see a hornet, they're on you, you know, right? So he's just sitting there. He's just hovering and perfectly still. Both eyes, this big bug. I just staring at me like this. I'm like, he's going to get me, you know? So I kind of walk up the hill out of his way, and I look back, and there's like 30 of them. I must have jammed it right into their nest, you know? If it doesn't happen to you recently, you kind of forget. Now I'm, I'm looking now the rest of the day going, okay, am I harming anybody's home, you know, so I don't die? It's a reminder. He reminded me, all right. Our traditions, our self, now I'm mentioning it, I'm thinking about it now. Our traditions and the celebrations that we have in our lives, whether that's an anniversary, it's important to celebrate your anniversary, to remember. I know it's another year, and maybe you're, you know, 30, 40 years into your marriage. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. You know, the day God gave you to each other. Celebrate those times. Any of them. Celebrate those things so that you remember, you know, and that your kids remember and your kids learn. All the kids are going to learn about this moment with Esther right here. They spontaneously celebrate with feasting and gladness, and now they're going to make it permanent. But the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 14th day as well as on the 14th and on the 15th of the month. They rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. So now they're giving gifts, you know. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and the 15th day of the month of Adar, as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies, as the month which uh, was turned from sorrow to joy for them, and from mourning to a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, and of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. Just keep adding to it, don't they? You know, first it was just eating. This is celebrate. And now we're going to eat and give gifts. Now we're going to eat and give gifts and send gifts to the poor, you know, kind of thing. It's just getting bigger. Their hearts are getting more full, more appreciative, more thankful, just more grateful. It's so important for us to just be grateful for what God's done, to be grateful for the people around us, the people that God's brought into our lives, good, bad, and ugly. I mean, I'm very grateful the good people that God's brought into my life, but I think about how much I learned from all the bad people God's brought into my life too. I've learned a lot. We are surrounded. Every one of us is surrounded and, and, and are to other people a proverb. I say that all the time. Some people are good proverbs. Oh, I want to be like them. Some people are bad proverbs. Oh, man, that's what I want to avoid. And I'm the same way. You guys watch me and I watch you and we're all learning from each other. It's very important. And I'm grateful for all of it. I learn a lot. So they get this feast together, and they start sending gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the custom, which they had begun, as Mordecai had written to them, because Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them, and had cast pur, that is, the lot. They cast the lot, die, they're going to die, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. That's what they remember. Pretty gruesome holiday. 
If you ever get to go to a synagogue on this day, they still celebrate it to this day. It's about the craziest. If you're ever going to visit a synagogue, most of you will never darken the door of a synagogue and put your yarmulke on or whatever. Uh, all you guys have to wear that. And, and the girl sat on one side and the guy sat on the other side. And it's really, it's really interesting. Um, but I guess it depends on the liberalism of the, of the synagogue. But I've been a couple times to a synagogue. Um, most of the time by what was really boring. It's all in Hebrew. So you're just sitting there as a Gentile going, yeah, sorry, I'm here. You know, kind of things. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm probably defiling you or whatever. This would be something worthwhile to go see. Because they dress up. All the gals wear Esther costumes, you know, like the queen, or maybe different stages of the story. All the guys dress up either as, uh, well, most of them dress up as Haman to, to be the bad guy, you know. Yeah. And then some of them dress up as Mordecai, and they do different things, and they do, they, they read the whole book, and they, they have noisemakers with them, you know, uh, kazoos or those things that you whip. or I don't know if they do air horns or not. I probably wouldn't bring an air horn if I were you. Might be a little much. But every, every time Haman's name is read, they go nuts and make a bunch of noise. Hey, man, you know, kind of thing. So if you're ever going to visit a synagogue, that's the day to do it. Maybe we should do a field trip, surprise them. You know? I better call ahead. Some of you people, your costumes would be pretty cool, I'm sure. So they do this, and they celebrate all these you know, deaths. And it's not just that. It's the defeat of the enemy. That's why I'm excited about what Jesus has done for me. He's defeated my enemy. You have a common enemy, Satan. Despite what you don't like about each other or what things bother each other, you know, bother each, each of us, we have a common enemy. And when that common enemy rears his head and we feel that sting of our enemy, we join forces pretty quickly. We do pretty good about that. And that's one of our problems with division is that we haven't felt his sting for a while, and that's why he stays so subtle and so far in the background of our lives that we think it's coincidence, that we think it's bad choices or whatever it may be, when actually we're being attacked by Satan and our lives are being ruined by this guy. And we don't join forces. We actually divide a little bit further because he's duped us into thinking it was you or you or you. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We think we do. He thinks he likes to help us think that we do. But I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I wrestle against spiritual things, principalities, you know. That's what's going on all the time. And when we start recognizing that and calling it out for what it is, we join forces. We get together really quick. We understand we need each other. We need prayer. I showed you on my post all the bad things that were happening that one day. I got a flat tire in my car. Okay, that happens. But right next to my car, I'm looking over at my mower, and there's a flat tire in the mower. Okay, I guess that happens on the same day. And then the power switches went out in my garage, only half of them, though. And I'm looking, saying, why does that one work and these six don't? And I'm going down in the breakers. So I'm, I'm confused, and I'm looking. So I just kind of looked at it all. And I said, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. I recognize it for what it is. Satan's just getting me off my game. He's just attacking dumb little stuff, you know. I don't provoke him, but I wanted to say, is that all you got? But I didn't say that all you got. I, I saw, I read Job. We're going to be in Job next week. It's not all he's got. So I don't, like, poke the bear too much because that's Jesus' job. He can do what he wants to do, but I'm, I'm not going to get there. So when I posted that, no more than probably 15 or 20 minutes later, everything just worked out. I know it's because some of you, some of you didn't. Some of you did pray. Some of you prayed. Oh, God, help him. 
he's he's losing it, you know. And I look behind my bee suits, those bees, and there's one of those communist GFCI outlets right there, you know. I know they got a purpose, but I like to call them communist anyways. It's funny. And it had tripped behind the seat, so I couldn't see the red light on it. I'm like, why does this work? I went on it. Everything turns on. I'm like, you're kidding me. It was that simple. But okay, you're kidding me. That was that simple. Thank you, God. You know, tires inflated. They didn't go back down again. This is great stuff. We wrestle principalities. And I could have been stomping mad and ruined all my family's day. Or I can post online and say, what in the world's going on here? You know, so much better. So they call these days Purim after the name Pur. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them, that without fail, they should celebrate these two days every year. According to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants, because we forget. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, with words of peace, truth, to confirm, peace and truth, to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them, and as they decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. So now they've got it documented so that we can remember. Very good, very important. Chapter 10, really short chapter. And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the, island of the uh, islands of the sea, now, all the acts of his power and his might and, uh, and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king adv- advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of, the Medi- of, of Media and Persia? Probably, but we don't have them. For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well-received by a multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. Man, underline that part. Now, before you close your Bibles, because we're right on time, keep in mind, Esther and this king, this king's son is named just like him, same exact name, is the king that sends um, Nehemiah. That starts the time clock for the prophecy to be fulfilled for the coming of the Messiah. And we can see that. How Perfectly, God works these things out for a much greater purpose. There is a specific time and people group that he's worried about and taking care of them, but he's also going to use Esther and Mordecai's influence on this king to raise up this son to be sensitive and caring towards the Jews to the point where he sends Nehemiah the cupbearer, who's number one, off to go ahead and rebuild Jerusalem, but also start the clock for the Messiah. This was a big book. This is a big event in history. Very important. And so now you have your your background on that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful book. Thank you for Esther and Mordecai, for the people that obey you. Thank you for the opportunities that you give us to um, hear you and to do what you've asked us to do. 
to look for those spiritual opportunities um, to be used by you, whether that's in word or deed, um, through prayer, whatever it may be. We thank you for that. Help us to have our spiritual eyes wide open and help us to be very aware when our fleshy eyes are open so that we don't get those two confused, that we would see what purpose you have for each person in our lives, the spiritual purpose, the application that you have, and the blessing that they are. Um, help us to see that this week and, uh, and to appreciate it and to be grateful for it. Lord, bless these folks as they go today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.